0: Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary. Ted Bohorkas here with News Talk KZRG. This is where I take everything that Peter, Steve, and myself discussed this week on the Morning News Watch, and I give it to you in a nice little summary, just in case you were curious what we discussed, but can't tune in to all, uh what, like 15 hours of us talking? Trust me, that's a lot of Steve. You don't want to hear all that. So I'm going to get us started off with one of the biggest things that happened this week, and that was the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank or SVB for short. Last Friday, it was announced that SVB was closing its doors. Done. And there's plenty of blame to go around. There's a lot of confusion about, you know, why did it close? Who's to blame? Was it Biden? Was it not? And to put it in very layman's terms here, really digestible for you, SVB, the bank, they had a number of positions, a number of holdings, that were affected by the fact that the interest rates were rising. And because the interest rates rose, those positions that were held by SVB lost about $2 billion worth of value. Now that sounds like a lot. And it certainly was a big problem. But SVB is top 15 largest banks in the United States. It's like a $300 billion bank. So $2 billion in losses is a tremendous amount, but it wasn't anything they couldn't cover. Now, when word got out that they were losing all this money, a number of big-wig investors within the bank, they went ahead and started selling stock. They started moving their money out, and this triggered a massive bank run. And there was a lot of people to blame here. Number one, there was no risk management. SVB had owned a lot of positions in stock and were investing into ESG. That is environmental, social, and governance investing. That's a big issue. They were involved in that for sure. Number two, they had a lot of positions in stocks in cryptocurrency, famously volatile market, obviously. So there was a number of things. And also the fact that they basically had no risk assessment team <laughs> operating at the bank at the time. So there was a lot of things that contributed to this bank failure. Slowly, all of these reasons chipped away until finally there was a big bank run. And that's really what sort of was the final nail in the coffin. Now, it was announced that the FDIC, I'm sure that's a term you've been hearing a lot this week, that stands for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And what they do is they insure a certain amount of money that was put into bank accounts as a way of getting trust uh, in in the banking system uh, for the American people. And all around, it's a pretty solid safety net to have in case events just like this happen. Now, usually the FDIC only covers up to $250,000 worth of deposited money. Now, it's important to know because within the bank, there are two sections. Ultimately, there are the depositors. Those are people that opened up a bank account and are putting their weekly paychecks into the bank. What you might do at, say, U.S. Bank or Wells Fargo or Chase, your average Joe's. And then there is the investment side. That is the side that are the shareholders, the investors, the people that own capital, stock, the people that have positions. Those are the two sides of the bank that ultimately, again, in very layman's terms. Now, the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen for the United States, she had said they will not be doing a government bailout for this bank. That's also been a term you've probably been hearing a lot. Initially in the week, she had said, and I quote, During the financial crisis back in 2008, there were investors and owners of systematic large banks that were bailed out, and the reforms that have been put in place means we're not going to be doing that again, end quote. She then said that depositors, those are average run-of-the-mill people that just opened a bank account, and that's where their weekly paychecks go to. She said those people will be receiving 30 to 50% of their money back. And more or less, that might be where it stops. Those were the initial claims. Then it turned into something a little bit bigger than that. All of a sudden, the government announced that they would be insuring all depositors' funds. Now, the FDIC, what they promise, what their whole thing is, is up to $250,000 per account, essentially. They're handing out a lot more than that. And this is where some of the talk this week sort of morphed into the government is doing another bailout for SVB. Is that a bailout? Well, there's a little bit of debate about that. And we talked about this quite a bit on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG this week. Traditionally, what a bailout ultimately is, is they give all the money back to the depositors and they give all the money back that was lost or might have been lost from those that own stock and to the management team. What the government is doing in this SVB case is they are not giving any money to the stockholders, to the shareholders, to any of those people. They are only giving money to the people who trusted the bank and put their money into the bank to hold on to it for them while they work their nine to five. That's it. Those are the only people that are going to be getting any money from them as of this week. Will that change? Who knows? But that's why some people are saying the government is bailing them out because the FDIC is only liable for $250,000, and yet they're pouring a lot more than that per account in. But it's also kind of not a bailout like the traditional ones we think of back in 2008 because they are not giving any money to the stockholders, to the management, to any of that. They're letting the bank just, that's it. Depositors get their money back and we're calling it quits there. Now, there again, there was a counter-argument, because even with the FDIC insuring $250,000 of each individual depositors' accounts and everything, even with that, 93% of SVB's deposits were not insured. 93% of it. They're going to be making those depositors whole. Is that the right thing to do? We'll have to see. So, yeah, that's a nice little, very short, very basic easy to digest summary of pretty much what happened there was a lot of other factors in play there's a lot of other big smart bank people terms that are in play in this case but more or less that's what went down and if that wasn't enough for you of course it can't just be an economical problem there was also a little bit of political intrigue going on democratic california governor gavin newsom arguably infamous at this point um, after the Biden administration announced that they would, in fact, be insuring all depositors amid the SVB collapse, Gavin Newsom praised Biden for his decision. And a lot of opponents of Newsom and a lot of critics of Newsom were very quick to point out that he had a lot of money in SVB. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's pretty easy to praise Biden when he's giving you money, literally. Now, Gavin Newsom owns three wineries in Northern California. I've been to one of them. It's just okay. All of which are clients of SVP. He also had his personal bank accounts there, a couple of them. All that money he's getting back as a depositor. And some people were a little suspicious as to why that is, but, you know, every depositor is getting their money back. So it's not just him. But, yeah, sprinkle a little political intrigue on top of that big economic kaboom that happened this week. Speaking of the economy, some other news that came out this week that we discussed on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Meta, which is the parent company to Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO, announced that they will be laying off an additional 10,000 workers because of the economic instability that Zuckerberg deems problematic and he thinks could continue for many, many years. Thanks, Sleepy Joe. Now, not only will Facebook be laying off 10,000 workers in addition to the previous 11,000 workers for grand total of about 23% of their entire work staff, they're laying off. They're downsizing by that much. Not only are they downsizing by that much, they're also going to be incurring restructuring costs, which they think will range between three to five billion dollars just to restructure their game plan. It's going to cost 3 to $5 billion and about 23% of their workforce. Not only that, but they also announced that they will be closing the 5,000 open roles that haven't been yet filled. Not only were they doing very well, they were actually growing. They were hiring people. They had 5,000 positions they wanted to put people in. They wanted to employ Americans in. But because of the economy... Not only will those 5,000 positions not be filled, but they're going to go ahead and cut another 21,000 positions on top of that. Tremendous. Tremendous news. Switching gears a little bit from the economy, um, there was other interesting developments this week that we discussed on the Morning News Watch at news Talk KZRG, all of which have to do with politics. Now, a very, very notable political shift that happened this week was former Vice President Mike Pence, looks like he might be turning against former President Donald Trump. Yeah, that's right. Pence criticized Trump for his handling of the January 6th Capitol riot. Mike Pence said, quote, make no mistake about it. What happened that day was a disgrace and it mocks decency to portray it any other way, end quote. Now, this isn't necessarily new news that Pence has been critical of Trump about the, uh, the January 6th um, event, that fateful day. Pence has on several occasions said that Trump put his family in danger. He said that Trump was in the wrong. And regardless of how any individual feels about this event, what's important to note here is that this is a really clear indication that obviously Pence and Trump are not going to be running on the same ticket again, <laughs> not going to be going down. Now, that was made obvious uh, a little while back as well, when Pence was hinting at that he himself might be running for president against former President Donald Trump. And in addition to that, some analysts think that Pence might be becoming even more vocal about the January 6th event in recent weeks and months even is, again, Pence may be laying the groundwork for the 2024 campaign. There are a lot of interesting cats on the Republican side. And very few of them have actually named themselves quite yet. There's Trump, DeSantis, Pence, Nikki Haley. There's a lot going on there. Vivek Ramaswamy. Can't forget about Vivek. A lot of players involved. We'll see how that goes. Meanwhile, on the other side of that, on the Democrat side, um, <laughs> well, uh, this week they were sort of in their own little battlefield in of themselves. Current Vice President Kamala Harris reportedly is not returning phone calls to Senator Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> which is pretty funny, in my opinion. Um, evidently, what happened was Warren took part in a radio interview where she voiced her support for Harris, but did not explicitly state that she was endorsing her for president or vice president, even. So offended was Kamala Harris that she is now ghosting her. Won't return her calls. Nope, you're ghosted. I didn't like what you said about me. Boom, ghosted. Sort of reminds me of middle school a little bit, personally. And to summarize what was said on the interview, Warren was saying that she supports Kamala and thinks that she's been doing a good job and thinks that people have been too hard on her and thinks that people uh, there's too much misunderstanding going on. And then when she was asked by the interviewer, do you support her to be on Joe Biden's ticket? Elizabeth Warren responded simply with, I trust the president to make a correct decision. Now, clearly, she's voicing support for Kamala, saying good things about her, but did not explicitly endorse her for VP. In my opinion, classic fence-sitting, right down the line political answer there. Kamala did not like that. She wanted a little bit more uh, loyalty, I guess, would be a good word for it. And she won't return her calls. (laughs) So uh, Elizabeth Warren this week issued a statement saying, quote, I fully support the president's and vice president's re-election together and never intended to imply otherwise. They're a terrific team with a strong record of delivering for working families, end quote. It's a much more explicit endorsement of Kamala as opposed to before. But that's not the only drama that the Dems got into this week. Something else we discussed on the Morning News Watch at Newstalk KZRG. Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. He is the Transportation Secretary under Joe Biden. And as it turns out, Mayor Pete might be in some hot water. On the heels of his delayed reaction to the hazardous derailment that happened in East Palestine, Ohio, more than half, 51 percent, Of the nation's voters want him out and 41 percent believes that he's worse than most previous transportation chiefs now for some of you this might seem obvious but keep in mind mayor pete had been near the top of the list for 2024 democratic presidential candidates a lot of democrats really liked him not just voters but also politicians They really thought there was a lot of talk about Mayor Pete being able to jump in if, for some reason, Joe Biden bowed out for a second term. But due to uh, what some might call a series of missteps, that talk has pretty much ended at this point. A YouGov survey found that only 36% of voters have a favorable view of Buttigieg now, as opposed to his previous numbers, which was significantly higher. And again, a lot of this came because of his delayed response to, eat, to the train derailment in East Palestine. Now, some, uh, a couple of other interesting things about this. Polls found that women voters have a more negative view of Buttigieg than male voters do. Sort of a strange line there, but despite that, the majorities of both male and female voters believe that Buttigieg should resign as a result of his delayed and seemingly lax response to the Ohio train disaster. The polls also mentioned that 52% of white voters and 42% of black voters, in addition to 53% of other minorities, all think that Buttigieg should resign. It's getting to the point there's a lot of like bipartisan skepticism and discontent with Mayor Pete. Which is a shame for Mayor Pete, because again... He was the talk of the town for a, quite a while, and he was on that short list. But because of his delayed, lax, and seemingly uninterested response to the Ohio train derailment, he lost a lot of faith in the American people on both sides of the aisle. A couple of other interesting things we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Jump straight. It's coming back, baby. Not the TV show, but the Biden administration is going to be disguising agents as students in order to catch colleges and universities that are misleading students. This, uh, according to an announcement that came out this week from the Department of Education, the Enforcement Office of Federal Student Aid, or FSA, will be using secret shoppers, they call them, to ensure that higher education institutions are complying with federal laws regarding financial aid. So it's kind of like Jump Street, but instead of investigating the students, they're putting fake students in to investigate the school itself. Kind of an interesting twist. They said they're also going to be using these secret shoppers to investigate universities recruitment and enrollment processes to ensure that they're not misleading or preying on students or anything like that. And essentially the way it's going to work is uh, these agents will be posed as students at these institutions and will be actively identifying any misrepresentations they see in uh, several aspects that that college or university advertised to in order to recruit and retain students. You know, a very common one is the food court. A student goes to the cafeteria when touring the school and the food, exquisite, amazing. The second you become a student and there's no tours going on, the food quality drops drastically only to get back up in quality when another tour of prospect students is on campus. It's a very famous case among college students as someone that recently was one that is a problem. Now, that's not a major issue. If the food isn't as good as it could be, who cares? But the point is, is that that sort of misrepresentation of quality affects the entire university not just food it affects housing it affects the cleanliness of campus it affects the quality of education you're getting how active are the teachers really on campus how active is the student life actually on campus if universities are gonna start charging students more money for more amenities then we better be getting our money's worth so says the students and so says the Biden administration as of this week Something else the Biden administration will be looking out for with these secret shoppers are things like transferability of credits, for instance. Colleges will say, yes, you can come to this school, you can take a few classes, give us a few monies, and then you can transfer to any university. That's not always the case. Sometimes they actually lie about that to get kids to pay them tuition. They'll also be investigating whether universities are lying about job placement rates for alumni as well as completion or withdrawal rates a graduates future earning potential universities lie to kids about that all the time these are all things that they're going to be investigating to make sure they're being honest and the chief operating officer of the FSA he said quote secret shopping is another tool in FSA's toolbox as we expand our oversight work to hold predatory schools accountable so yeah the Biden administration they're getting it done over in uh, San Francisco, where I spent a little bit of time, um, if you might remember, a few weeks ago, San Francisco had devised a plan to give all black residents $5 million each in reparations for slavery. The That plan came with a lot of criticisms, mainly that California was never a slave state, so the residents that were there Never would have been affected by it, via direct lineage in any way. Um, This garnered a lot of support early on. Well, the draft that called for $5 million, in addition to total debt forgiveness and several other perks, was voted down. In fact, the NCAA actually was opposed to the plan. Turned a lot of heads this week. They said they'll be making further statements later next week, so we'll see what that turns into. And finally, the last um, topic that we discussed quite a bit this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG had to do with overseas business, mainly with China and Russia. Now, let's start with Russia here. Uh, this week, something very scary and very shocking happened. The U.S. military was forced to take down one of its own drones on Tuesday of this week after it essentially collided with a Russian fighter jet over the Black Sea. Now, there's a couple things to note here. Number one, the Black Sea is international waters. The United States has every right to be there, just like any other country does. It's like ocean. It's maritime law, baby. Anything goes. But while it was flying, doing routine operations, that it has been in the area for 20 years now, two Russian Su-27 aircraft, basically those are jets, they conducted what U.S. officials are calling a, quote, unsafe and unprofessional intercept. (laughs) war doesn't seem very safe to me, so I don't understand that labeling, but unprofessional, I could see. And essentially what these Russian fighter jets did is they performed a very strange maneuver that is not conventional in warfare really at all. And what they did is these jets actually flew over the drone and while doing so dumped their own fuel, their own gasoline, they dumped it onto the drone to try and blind it and to try and bog it down with weight So that way it goes down or alternatively to try and, you know, gum up the works and the gears and all that good stuff. So, yeah, that's sort of a weird move. You know, uh, these jets, they have that fuel dump option in case they're um, overweight or or for emergency purposes, they can dump it. But it's not a very normal or conventional tactic to use it (laughs) to try and bring down an enemy aircraft. It's pretty interesting in that sense. After they did that, they blinded it. And then those... Russian jets actually clipped one of the propellers of the U.S. drone. Now, because that happened, it was deemed pretty much... They pretty much could no longer operate it reasonably, so they decided to go ahead and take it down in the water to make sure it didn't hit land and any civilians and all that good stuff. So, yeah, the Russians, essentially, they took down a U.S. drone. Now, why this was huge news is because this is the first time that Russia and the United States physically engage one another directly since the Cold War. I mean, we've been fighting with Russia for decades now, but all through proxy wars, much like the Ukraine war. So to see direct conflict was um, took a lot of people aback this week. Uh, speaking of Russia, uh, something else that came out this week that we discussed on the Morning News Watch, the Putin kill count. It goes up. Yes, it continues to rise. A Russian financial fraudster and oligarch, who, by the way, sold Harry and Meghan Markle their Monticello, California mansion. He sold it to them for $14 million, a drop in the bucket for either of them, perhaps. Well, that very Russian oligarch suddenly and kind of mysteriously died from sepsis. And the reason why this is suspicious is because he was very healthy all things considered. And this happened very soon after he criticized Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He was healthy. He was fine. Nothing wrong. Then all of a sudden he speaks out against Putin. Sepsis. Little interesting. So, yeah, that came out this week. And this is just, uh, you know, another notch in the in Putin's belt, you know, Let's not forget earlier this month, one Russian scientist who helped develop the controversial Sputnik V COVID vaccine. Well, authorities found him dead with the belt around his neck. Strange. One military colonel for Russia, who was the Ukraine war's chief of mobilization, he was said to have committed suicide. Eh, but there was just one problem with that story. He was shot five times. Suicide? Unlikely. The list goes on and on. But ultimately, most of Putin's kills on his kill count are either murder suicides or just straight up suicides. And that's how Putin's been operating, sort of cloak and dagger style. But in the U.S., he has garnered some benefit of the doubt. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. We're always questioning it. In Russia, that mistake is not being made nor shared with the United States counterparts. No, no, no everyone in russia from all reports is very aware of who's doing these kills. It's Putin kill count. He's up there with Hillary. They're killing it, literally. Ba-dunts. And uh, finally, the last big thing that we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at NewsTalk KZRG, the Chinese government as well as Chinese businesses. Well, an exiled Chinese billionaire and pal of former White House advisor Steve Bannon, uh-oh, was arrested at his Manhattan apartment this week in a billion-dollar fraud scheme. This individual allegedly dumped thousands of online followers out of investments and spent all of their cash on lavish assets. He reportedly purchased a $30,000 mattress, as well as several properties, cars, clothing, all of the above. This guy, he had um, amassed a large online following after starting two nonprofits back in 2018 that pushed an agenda that was highly critical of the Chinese Communist Party. As it turns out, it was all fraud. It was all just to get people's money. And then he garnered enough support and trust that people actually looked to him for investment. They gave them their money. And instead of investing it, he just took it and spent it all. Yeah, he was arrested this week. And by the way, had ties to the Chinese Communist Party government. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles and California, the L.A. mayor actually met with the head of Beijing's top influence outfit. The president of the Chinese People's Association for Friendship with Foreign Countries met with Los Angeles's mayor, not to mention the California treasurer, and several pro-China think tanks during a 10-day stateside tour. And the crazy thing about this is that the director of national intelligence here in the U.S., they issued a report warning that China is adjusting its influence activities, aiming them more at local and state officials as opposed to the fat cats in Washington because there is currently growing bipartisan skepticism of China in Washington as a whole. Both the left and the right in Washington, very suspicious of China right now. Nobody's really wanting to work with them at the time. But on the state and local level, they don't really share such large concerns. So the director of national intelligence issued a warning saying they think that they're now targeting local politicians. Because, well, they're more easily corruptible, I guess. Which makes sense. The stakes aren't as high. It's not Washington. It's just local politics. What's the harm if I take a little money from China? Well, there's a lot of harm, and we might see the fallout of that later on. But that's pretty much it. That's basically everything we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Tune in to FM 102.9, 105.9, AM 1310, or on your smart speaker. You can also watch us live every morning on Facebook Live. Check out our beautiful faces. But yeah, tune in. You can uh, chat with us live on the Facebook feed. We have a little comment section and we'll interact with you directly. It's it's a lot of fun during those commercial breaks if you're sick of those. If you watch us on the Facebook Live feed, we actually switch to a different microphone during the commercial breaks and we, we can talk to you on Facebook Live. So it's a good time. And remember, if you ever miss anything, you can always catch it right here. On Plot Summary with News Talk KZRG.